to Bibby, has the open shot. Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the NBC Sports California King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. And joining me today, you know what? We don't usually get players during the offseason. They like to go hide out and and get away from the media and get away from the limelight. But today I'm joined by uh, Darren Collison, point guard for the Sacramento Kings. DC, what's going on, man? Man, what's good, Jay? Nice for having me. Thank you. Hey, uh, always a pleasure to have you on. You know, it's been uh, – you've had a little bit of time to, to kind of recover from this season. And uh, just overall – what are your thoughts on your third season in Sacramento and sort of the ups and downs of this wild season? I think you said it. I think it was up and down. I mean, uh, you know, I think the first half, you know, was was very interesting because I think we really did have a shot of making the playoffs. Um, you know, we didn't know the trade was going to go down the way it did, but it did. And then the second half of the season, you know, my role came from you know, being a big part of the team to not only just being a big part of the team, but mentoring. And so I try to do the best I can in mentoring the young players, you know, for the second half of the season. And it was real good to see, you know, even though we didn't win as much games, but it was real good to see that they were improving. You know, Darren, it was such a, a dramatic shift. And, and I think DeMarcus, the DeMarcus trade is one thing, but I think it really started when Rudy got hurt. And then you get the DeMarcus trade. And not only that, but at the same time, Omri is traded in that deal. And Matt Barnes yeah. is waived. And you go from a team that's, a, a, what, a half game out of the eighth spot, a game after the, the All-Star break, to just the youngest mm-hmm. team that you've seen. Sort of how was that shift that you had to go through? And just emotionally from you know your guys' perspective behind the scenes, just... Like, oh my gosh, this thing is completely come undone and completely changing in front of us. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a shocking. I mean, uh, I mean, for my position, you know, really wanting to make it the playoffs and leading the team, I thought we had a good chance of doing that. And I know that from the fan perspective, I I know they really wanted to see us make the playoffs. So you know, to have that many guys to lead a team, and then now we're became. You know, so sort of a rebuilding team. It was different. You know, it was challenging at first. You know what I mean. But I learned to accept it and kind of understand that the direction that they were trying to go to, and I respect it. They had a plan in place, um, and you know, they, this is what they wanted to do, and I was all up for it at the time. All right. So I, I know personally, you and I had plenty of conversations down the stretch. The last thing you want to do is sit out a game and and watch from the sidelines. But that's kind of what you were asked to do. And can you kind of walk fans through what it's like to, you know, be a guy who shows up every day and expects to play every day, but then literally to be asked to step aside for a little while and, and just kind of take it, uh, take a different stance with the team. And, you know, it wasn't just you, it was Costa, 
it, it was Ty for certain games. Uh, it was Anthony mm-hmm. Tolliver. But what is that like? Because, again, I know how much you wanted to play during those games. Uh, so it's like if you drive an hour to work, you know, you're prepared. You got all your clothes ready. You know, you're prepared to go to work. You do everything you can to go to work, and you're, you're in the car, and you get there, and then, you know, you're in traffic for a little bit, and then next thing you know, you're running late, you're rushing, and you finally get there, and then they say, you know, today is not the day. You know, just go back home. And that's how I kind of felt like us as players. Like, you know, we put in all this work in, and when we get to the games, it's like you're not playing. And that was like the most challenging thing for me as a player, especially as a competitor, because it's like, no, if I put in all this work, I want to play. You know, I, I, I've been doing this my whole entire life. So to go this route, it was it was definitely challenging for me, and not just for me, but for, like, the other guys that had to deal with the same situation. But, you know, once you learn um, – why you had to accept, you know, what they were trying to do, you know, it, it became much easier, you know, as I guess as the weeks went on and towards towards the end of the season. It's not something I encourage. I know they don't encourage that as well. It's just a route that they had to go through. And, you know, I think we all did a good job of helping each other out, you know, and doing whatever they need to do. So it, it was tough, but, you know, we got through it and something I don't want to put myself in that position again. All right, so during the season, you had a, an interesting dynamic, which we haven't seen in Sacramento, where you actually had a second point guard with you and Ty Lawson. What was that like for you and, and Ty to sort of share duties, play together, uh, trying to learn each other the whole time, learning the, the different ways that and style of play that each of you played with? But it seemed like you guys, by the end of the season, you guys were a really, really strong one-two punch what was it like to play with Ty and, and sort of like who he is behind the scenes, which may be completely different than what a lot of people believe he is? Right. Yeah, I mean, it was fun. You know, I think, um, you know, the way the game's being played is a lot more, uh, I guess, two point guard lineups. And, you know, that's, it's like that for a reason. You know, it's small ball, you know, teams are trying to play with a lot more speed. And I think me and Ty did a good job playing off of one another and really – you know, opposing that threat, you know, to a lot of teams, you know, with our speed. And it became a strength of ours. Um, you know, I would like to see it a lot more during the season. But, you know, I know Coach was shuffling different lineups and have to play different rotations to see what worked. But that was one of the road things. That was one of the um, the rotations that did work was me and Ty. And, you know, who else you put out there on the court? Because we can play make. You know, Ty's a good playmaker. I'm a good playmaker. And none of us is selfish. So we're just willing to share the ball duties, you know, with one another. And, um, you know, I, I always think Ty is, is a heck of a player. You know, I've been we've, – we've been drafted in the same draft class. You know, he's a heck of a person, you know, regardless of what anybody says. And, you know, I had really fun playing with him. All right. So you're a free agent, and, you know, you've only got what I think is 10 days or something until free agency begins, maybe a few more days than that. But uh, – yeah, Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's coming up, right? <laughs> Uh, what are you yeah. looking for in this next deal, uh, whether it be with the Kings or anyone else? What is it that, that you hope to to find in this next – I mean, because you are – you're turning 30 later this year, so you're you're looking at it like mm-hmm. maybe you don't have much more than like two or three more deals – well, two deals left in you possibly. Uh, but what is it that you want from this? 
Um, yeah, I want a max $200 million contract. That's, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris now, Paul. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, was, I, I, I was looking at, you know, the playoffs. And, you know, one of the things that I got from the teams that have success, you know, call me crazy is I think chemistry was extremely underrated this year in the playoffs. Um, you know, everybody talked about the talent level being so far off between the Cavs and the Warriors, but the ability to have a good locker room, um, have one goal, and to play well with one another, to me, was bigger than any of that talent or anything that had any success with those teams. Um, that's something that I want to look forward to. I want to, I want to go to a team where the locker room is great. You know, I want to go to a team where it's just one goal. You know, there's there's no egos, and you know, whatever the goal is, everybody's on the same page. And I'm sure that's what a lot of teams want to do, but a lot of teams don't do that. You know, it's very hard to find not just good players, but good people. You know, I think nowadays, you know, if you have good people to play with, it's easy for you to play with them and it's easy for you to have success. So that's one of the things I'm going to look forward to, um, regardless of the wins and losses of what that team has. You know, I definitely want to be in the playoffs, obviously, you know, you know at least compete for one. But, you know, I want to put position myself to play with a team full of good people on their squad and just go from there. Okay, so I guess the question is, is Sacramento still in the hunt? I mean, I, I, there uh, is Sacramento still in the hunt for you then? Because they are a young team that probably isn't, they aren't going to be playing for for a playoff picture, uh, at least in your, this next year. But they do have a lot mm-hmm. of promise, and they also have, they do have a lot of good people. I mean, I've covered this team. This will be my eighth yeah. season this coming year. And, you know, over the uh, course of time, I've seen plenty of players come in there that weren't good people and that you had to deal with on a daily basis and go, oh, boy, this not this again. But it seems like the Kings have uh, made a focus on finding good individuals, uh, finding good people and, and guys who are leaders. Is uh, Are they still in the hunt for you? Or is this you're at a stage in your career where you're like, you know what, I'm going to explore everything and winning might have more of a – you know, it made me finding a winning fit may be more important to me than finding 35 minutes a game. Right. I mean, that's a good question. I think um, in the position I am, I have to explore everything. But like I said before, you know, that some of the things that Vladdy and Paige wanted to do with this team, you know, I was all aboard for it because they kind of they kind of picked you know, my brain a little bit and I told them what I wanted and that was something that they wanted too. And that was to have a good locker room, good players and to whatever happens after that happens. I mean, so no, they're ne- they're never out of it. You know, these fans make it definitely tough for me to say, oh, I don't never want to come back. Um, I do want to come back, you know, if, if the situation is right. Um, you know, so I wouldn't mind coming back. You know, of course, I'm going to explore other options as well. You know, that's just because of the position I'm in. But I think what SAC is doing right now for this team and what they're trying to do for the future, I like it. I like their plan. I like what they're about. I like what they're trying to do. And we'll see what happens, you know. I just think if you have a good locker room with good players, anything can happen, regardless if people say you're not going to win or not. Anything can happen with those two ingredients. All right, so if Sacramento is still in the picture, would you accept a role with Sacramento where maybe year one you're playing major role, but either way you're a mentor to either a young guy like De'Aaron Fox or, mm-hmm. or Dennis Smith? Um, are you willing to take mm-hmm. on that full-fledged mentor role, whether again, whether it be in Sacramento or it be somewhere else? Because 
this is sort of the way that, you know, the teams are going. You need good people who can help build more good NBA players. And it's not just as easy as, you know, draft a guy, put him in a position and have him go run out there. Mm-hmm. You got to bring these guys up. Right. You've got to make sure that they're pros. You got to make sure that they understand what it takes, the work it takes and all that to get things done. Right. right. Well, that's something that, you know, I've always looked forward to doing is mentoring the younger generation and hopefully they can be better than us. I think regardless of what situation you're in, you know, whether you're Steph, whether you're Chris Paul, no matter if you're an all-star or not, it's your duty to, to get players ready for that next level when they're younger than you. Um, so regardless of what team I decide to choose, you know, that's something I'm always going to be looking forward to is mentoring the young players because I think it's important. It's important to the game. If you really love the game, then you're willing to stick your neck out for these players to get better. So it, it, it doesn't matter. You know, if it's all for the team, I think that's how you have success. All right, so you coming down the stretch, you got a good look at these young players. What stood out to you? I mean, Buddy Buddy can shoot. Uh, Scal seemed to have all kinds of different, you know, potential that I don't know that anyone knew that he had. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein started showing mm-hmm. different things. Even Papi Giannis stepped up, and, and you got to see some things from from the big guy. But what is it that stood out to you with this young group of players? Well, they're worth that thing. I think there's times where I've seen Scal – you know, work before the game and even after the game. and He didn't play not one minute. To me, I think that that goes a long way. You know, I was one of those players that didn't play a lot, you know, early on in my career, my rookie year. Um, not until later in, in my rookie year season that when I didn't play, I still had to work. You know, you may not like it because you want to you want to you want to see your results right away. And Scout didn't get a chance to play until the end of the season, but he was always working. Um, and it paid off. Uh, Buddy, too. Buddy's a workaholic, too. That's something that I definitely respect. Um, so if those guys continue to work the way they work, I think they're going to be better than a lot, a lot of people expect them to be, faster and quicker. You know, I think a lot of people think it's going to take them a year or two years. Or now I think they're going to be ready for this upcoming season. I think they're going to be ready, you know, to contribute at a high level this upcoming season. All right, Darren, you know what? You shot a career-best 41.7% from three. Your stats over the last five years uh, per 36 are almost identical. Even, you know, the minutes that you play, almost all of your stats for the last five years, are someone, everyone knows what they're going to get from you as a player. So if you were, if this were a job interview, what would you tell <laughs> the other 30 NBA teams about yourself to, to really say, look, this is who I am, this is what I've done, um, but more than that, you know, these are the things that I bring to the table uh, behind the scenes and the things that I bring off the court that, that maybe you don't know about me. Well, I'm, a, I'm an extreme student of the game. Um, I think a lot of players would say they're students of the game, but, you know, I, I like to research, you know, how the game is being played 20 years from now, 10 years from now, and even now. And one of the things that fascinates me as a student is, you know, how much success you can have um, just playing without the ball. You know, you look at how Golden State plays, and it's not so much their talent, but it's their ability to have five players be a threat and play without the ball. You know, you see Greg Popovich does it with his team all the time. Um, so that's one of the things that I know that I've been working on for the last two years is playing without the ball um, and not just playing on the ball. I know I'm a good pick-and-roll player, but playing off the ball is, is just as important for me now nowadays, especially in my career. 
um, if you're going to play with a superstar, you got to be able to play off the ball too. So, you know, any contending team, any team that needs a player to play off the ball, I think that's something that's important. That's something that, you know, I'm very, very aware of. Um, and then, you know, just keeping a locker room in check. You know, I think it, it goes unnoticed when the locker room is in disarray. You know, it carries on the court, you know, making sure everybody has one common goal. You know, I had to do a lot with that in my last three years. And, you know, we wasn't the most functional team or functional organization. Everybody knows that. So the baby, the ability to, you know, to stay positive in the midst of my three years in sack and they still go out there and do my job. You're always going to find a player to do, do his job when things are going well and to still do his job when things are going bad. So those are the things you're going to get from me. Well, I think it really does uh, ring true that the strange thing about you, I don't think I ever once heard your name mentioned in a trade rumor. The Kings seem to have no interest <laughs> in you going anywhere. Uh, you were the guy that they put the ball in his hands and let him do his thing, and more often than not, you delivered. Uh, so I- I'd say this. Uh, if this is it for you in Sacramento, uh, you spent three years here. Your family is here. You've you know Your little guy is mm-hmm. getting bigger here. Um, what is it that you would tell Kings fans uh, if this is the last time that you're you're going to play in a Kings uniform? You know, it, by far the best experience that I had with fans, even going back to my UCLA days, uh, all the teams that I played with in the NBA, a lot of players don't understand how loyal these fans are. You know, we have been in a funk, I don't know, in how many years, and we still have sellout crowds. That just tells you something about our fans. Um Everywhere I go, you know, the fans embrace me. Um, they they love supporting us no matter what we're doing, what's happening throughout the season, how bad we're playing, how good we're playing. You know, the fans love us. And that's something you don't get from a lot of teams. They really respect basketball at a high level. And it helps you do your job at a high level too. You know, I think that's something I'm going to really miss is the fans' experience. Um and just moving forward from there. And on the side of that, I love being in SAC. I love living in SAC. You know, even though changes will probably have to be made or if it does be made in any way, that's something I will miss is living out here. It it seems like uh, players who come to Sacramento, they they might not do it like with the – maybe they do it for for whatever reason, but once they get here, they seem to love it here and they seem to not want to leave. Is that something that you you would agree with? I, I see it all the time. You see, like you said, you see Peja and Bobby Jackson, players that played here, you know, years, years ago. They they still live out here. Um, you know, I could see myself living here post-career. You know what I mean? L.A. is only an hour flight away. So, you know, whatever happens, I know SAC is always going to be in my plans in the near future, um, regardless of what happens, because it's just, it's just good people out here, you know, people that just mind their own business do their jobs, and work hard. And that's something who I am, and that's what I'm about. I enjoy it. All right, Darren. Well, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure covering you for the last three years. I hope I get to see you more. I hope we uh, we see a, a positive resolution out of this and, and you come back next year. But if not, just want you to know it, it has been a pleasure to, to work with you. You've always been a pro behind the scenes for me. And, uh, and hopefully, again, uh, we get to see more of you. But if not, good luck with everything. And... You know, we'll talk to you soon. You know, thank you, Jay. You know how I feel about you. You know, one of the most humbling reporters out there, you know, that, that has honest and good stories. So I never did have an issue with you. And I'm sure other players would think the same about you. So I appreciate everything. Thanks. 
Welcome back to the NBC Sports California Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me as always in the second part of the podcast, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what's going on? What's up, Mr. Ham? So much stuff, it's crazy. I mean, we got pre-draft workouts, we've got uh, finals are finally over very quickly. Um, just a lot of wild and crazy rumors and stuff going all over the place. Uh, people, I apologize. It, it's been two weeks. We've kind of actually uh, settled into every two weeks, which is unusual for the podcast. Uh, just a lot of stuff going on. Um, I'm not a smoker. I'm going to do a, a public service announcement. I told Aaron I would do this uh, at some point in the podcast, but I'm not a smoker. But for those of you out there that follow this podcast, I'm just going to ask you to really, really rethink the smoking thing and to uh, to try your best and do whatever you can do to give it up. Because I've, I've been dealing with uh, Papa Ham having uh, COPD and pneumonia and a bunch of stuff over the last couple of weeks, and uh, it hasn't been fun. So... Public service announcement is is commencing, but uh, quit smoking, quit smoking today, or I won't talk to you on the podcast anymore. Right, Aaron? Well, I guess you, you might even be talking to me there. I, I used to have a smoke or, or two or three uh, back in the day. It feels amazing to quit. Like, I, I still have a weak moment every once in a while, especially if I, you know, happen to have a beer, you know, maybe two. Yeah. I, 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 the, you know, those times are on a golf course. You know, that was, that was actually something that I've been doing, playing a lot of golf lately. And and that's kind of my spot, one of my spots, my old spots. Quitting has been the best thing for me, um, you know, and it, it's taken a good like probably four or five years to, to really slowly do it, you know, to the point where I just don't even think about cigarettes and the thought of having one, you know, even if I'm in that moment is one of those things where I, I just like dread it. I go, I don't even want that thing. And then if I do have it, it's terrible. And then I don't want another one. And 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 that's a long, long, long journey. Cause you know, growing up when I did where I did, most people smoke cigarettes. Or at yeah. least most of the people the crew that I was hanging out with smoke cigarettes, I should say. You hung and, out with a rough crew, Aaron Ruski. I, I, I did the the ragtag <laughs> crew. <laughs> yeah, I mean my dad's my dad was a construction worker for years and years. Everyone smoked. I worked with him on the downtown plaza and on the uh, the archives building Secretary of State's office in Sacramento. Um, I actually worked the original downtown plaza people uh, in nineteen ninety three. Um, before they, they tore it all down and built the new arena right there. I actually worked that, that entire strip right there. And I think there was 52 of us on the crew that worked uh, swing shift and 50 of them smoked. And so, yeah, it is, it is that lifestyle. But at this point, just people know that at some point your kids are going to have to visit you in ICU, uh, all week long while you're trying to recover and you can't breathe and your pulse ox dips way too low. And yeah. So just, uh, again, our public service announcement is over. Quit smoking. Um, let's get on to the rest of what we got to deal with. Um, thanks to Darren Carlson for coming on the front half. Uh, he's a free agent in just a couple of weeks. And uh, he said the door is still open to come back to Sacramento. And not only that, Aaron, but that he does believe that, you know, when you get to a certain point in your career, that it is your job to be a mentor and to pass on what you know to the next group 
and he is still open to doing that in Sacramento. It just really depends on if the Kings want it back, uh, what other teams want him, how much money they're willing to spend, how much money everyone else is willing. I mean, there are so many variables here. But are you comfortable with Darren Collison, uh, De'Aaron Fox combo, a Darren Collison, Dennis Smith combo uh, for the next couple of years while while this team builds? Mm, comfortable is, I guess, a relative term. I mean, I just don't know what you're you're really kind of going for there. Is it is it a an ideal situation? Probably not. I mean, I thought Darren lost a lot off his fastball last year, so that'd be the big question I'd want to see. Is I'd want to see actually workouts. You know, to see can he get from one place to the other on the court the way that he used to in, in say, his first year with Sacramento. Um, I, you never really noticed a dip in his athleticism until last year is the reason why I bring that up. Because um, if not, then he come, he becomes pretty ordinary pretty quick. And so um, to the extent that that impacts other players' development is, is the concern that I would have. Um, now, if you've got a rookie in tow, you know, for, for Darren to be able to, to to help that rookie out and to help kind of smooth out that process, that that's obviously a good thing. But when you start talking about the second year of the deal and probably the third year of the deal, that's the stuff where I think that that he might become uh, not dead weight, but, um, you know, maybe just too big of a hit on the cap. Again, the Kings aren't really looking at the cap for the next couple years, you know, seriously. So. I don't know. I, I think Darren's handling this the right way, though. I think he's keeping an open mind to the possibility of coming back to Sacramento, where, frankly, I think a few players in his shoes would, would say, you know, it's time to just pick up and move on and try to get something else going on. But but he's keeping all his options open. Yeah, he was very clear that he loves the fans, that uh, the reaction to him post-situation uh, last summer uh, has been really good, that he's had a lot of support. Um, that he he really does feel like this is home. It's somewhere that he would like to come back to possibly when he's retired and live here uh, and with his family. And so a lot of, you know, he even talked about, you know, Pedro and Bobby Jackson and Vlade, they all come back and uh, they all live here and they all want to work here and be part of this still. And he's like, I feel that too. So I, I thought it was a, a really interesting, like insightful look into, you know, what a free agent to be you know, looks like in today's NBA, especially a guy who who's almost 30. Um, I think that if you sign him to a three-year deal, you're going to get value out of it. Uh, he he shot 41.7% from three last season, uh, his career high. He's a really good off-the-ball shooter as well. Even if you're looking at him being a, you know, 28-minute, 25-minute guy in year two, year three, but I, I think he could still, he'll run your offense, he'll do the things you need to do, and he'll be efficient and uh, he'll help bring that younger player along. And again, he can play multiple positions. He can play the one and the two at, at the NBA level as far as you know shooting and offensively he can do that. And having another ball handler never hurts. And I think the Kings have kept a door open. I, I just don't know... You know, I'm, I'm going to say this, though. I'm going to yeah. say this, though, about Collison. It's almost not fair to him if they draft Fox. You know, Fox legitimately in a season like this for the Kings should probably just be thrown in the fire you know and then they, hey you know what that might not be Dave Yeager style we don't really know what he thinks about that yet but better time you know there's no better time than now to drop Fox in you know for 28 30 minutes per game and if you keep Darren and you have that log jam that you have at shooting guard it's going to be so hard to find minutes for people I, I would think that that's probably the tipping point for the decision to keep him 
Well, I think you can still minutes at the wing. I still, I think you can still minutes at the four. Clearly, the Kings have a massive need at the four now with Anthony Tolliver waving. Um, I, I don't even think we did. We talk about that. Uh, I don't think uh, we did. <laughs> I think we, that's we, we in between podcasts. Yeah, that it yeah. is. We did miss it. Actually, it happened after we recorded the podcast. Um, I think a lot of people are confused by that. Why they they would let him go, and just the Kings are looking for maximum flexibility. They look they're looking to do all kinds of things this summer. And to really revamp this team and, and to get on a path. And maybe they, they want a veteran that does similar things to what Anthony Tolliver does. But maybe they want that veteran to be 25 or 26, uh, not 32, going on 33 type deal. And so I know a lot of people thought, ah, he's such a great locker room guy. Um, you know, he was a good locker room guy. Uh, was he a difference maker? I don't know. Um, Garrett Temple was a 100% difference maker in that locker room. And I'm okay with that, but I mean, people should expect that Aaron Aflalo will get the same exact treatment when his deal is up. And I think his deal is up uh, at the end of the month, the very last day before free agency, the Kings get to make that decision, which is really cool because now they can actually move him at, uh, at draft season. They can move him to another team and that team can buy him out for the 1.5 million owed. And uh, I haven't got clarification whether the Kings stretch provisioned the two million from uh from Tolliver but I actually think that they they should and they probably did which means they didn't just clear up you know six million in cap space they cleared up over seven and they should have so much money to spend it's ridiculous yeah uh I I don't know we'll see I I, when the Tolliver news hit I my thoughts were basically we're going to find out the answer to this question after everything's done yes you know free agency because you know we talked about this the kings have innumerable ways that they can go with this whole thing and bringing in some veterans so taking some some contracts that teams would like to get out of um you know that aren't terrible contracts but you know are not ideal contracts for that particular team that's going to be the way that the kings can add the veterans that they need to this roster so being able to sort of not max out the cap space but have that flexibility does make sense but if they come back and, you know, there's a roster spot that Tolliver would have looked great in, it, it, I think it would be a little bit of a loss. But I don't mind the gamble. I mean, you're, you're, you're right to the extent that a player has to be able to play. With Garrett, you know, he can go on the court and he can shut down a James Harden. And that gives you a lot of credibility in a locker room uh-huh. to be able to say, hey, do it this way. You know, if you're coming out, you're playing 15, 20 minutes per game. You just don't have quite as much grip. So there's a little bit of a diminishing return on the leadership factor. Yeah, and and so, look, the Kings are going to be doing things that don't make sense to some people and make perfect sense to others. I just think at this point, people should be prepared for any and all options because I think there, at this point, there's nothing that's off the table um, except for moving out of the top five. They will draft in the top five in this year's draft. Now, there's been rumors coming out, uh, mainly out of Philly, and then some guy that I've never heard of who keeps throwing stuff up against the wall, uh, you know, down in the in L.A. Um, so, but there have been a lot of rumors about the Kings trading ten and five to move up to number three. Um, and I've been told that as of right now, the Kings just don't see the value in that. They don't see the value at all. They think that at number five, they're guaranteed an All-Star level player. Uh, that they believe that all five of the top five players, which is basically Fultz, uh, Fultz, Fox, Tatum, Jackson, 
and Ball, all five are all-star level players in the future. And that why would you need to move up to get a better all-star level player when all of them have kind of equal opportunity to be great in their own their own way? And so they're more than willing to sit there at five and, and just wait for it to happen and see who they get and pray that Fox is the guy that falls. Um, but I don't believe that 100%. Yeah, I was going to say, where's the caveat to this? I don't um, believe that 100%. I do believe I, that they're trying to move up. They're just telling teams, I'm not giving you the 10th. Th- this the draft is great. I, I'm, so great. I'm, I'm typically not like as fired up as the fans and the readers are about draft. It's more of a job, I will say that, because, you know, all of the different things. But this draft has so much intrigue, starting at one and then two and I do think you could see some movement at one and two, um, but three and four is where everything's happening in this draft. Philly is blatantly just putting out these reports that, you know, they don't really pass the sniff test, but you almost have to. It's like an opening move in in a game of chess. You have to, if you're Philly, say the team that everybody will believe will do anything, which is the Kings, is interested in moving up to the three for the five and the 10 and you set the market that way. So that's the opening move, whether or not you got more than that. Who's got, I mean, I think that's the question. Like, did you blow your, your big bet in the first hand? I think with, with the thing that Kings fans have to worry about is not necessarily Philly and Phoenix. It's the other teams out there that might value Fox. I don't think anybody's going to trade up for Tatum. But if so, you start looking down the list of teams that might want a point guard like Fox, and are they willing to move up? That's that's really where the bulk of the research is, is probably happening right now inside of the Kings, uh, as well as inside of Philly. But um, I think teams are willing to move up for for Jackson as well. I think oh, for teams, Jackson, yeah, yeah Jackson they love Jackson as well. as well. So if he's available at three, but now we're hearing, well, maybe Josh Jackson goes number one. But that doesn't impact the Kings. The the thing, the Phoenix is the big. It is the big unknown, isn't it? Yeah. This is the big unknown because they have so many different ways that they can play this. And, you know, I, I've seen some people say that Tatum doesn't fit for them. And I think that's just crazy. He is actually yeah. the kind of player that they need on that roster. I agree. Um, so them taking Fox and then they've got to deal with Bledsoe, Knight, and then Tyler Eulis. And here's my – this is my kind of – out of left field thing is if the Kings could make a play for Tyler Eulis, you know, I think he's a future all-star and, and I, I don't say that with as much conviction as, you know, the previous short point guard that, that played in Sacramento, um, Isaiah Thomas. But I do think that this would be a time that Phoenix can hedge their bets on him. You know, they can say, Hey, you know what? It's great. We, we, we got a great rookie season out of you. You know, your stock has gone, gone up. You know, maybe somebody will give us something of value for you and then we don't have to bet on you while we have two other point guards at a minimum in Bledsoe and Knight. Now, we know that they want to get rid of Knight and he's upside down in his value. Yes. But this is a lot of different options for them. So for them to take Fox at four would be virtually crazy. So they they would then have to have other deals in tow. I think so too, but I'll repeat this. I said this on the Rise guys yesterday. No one inside of the top five should be trading out of the top five. If they trade out of the top five, they're stupid. In all honesty, it doesn't matter who, what team it is. This top five is so good 
that you're gambling on maybe getting a guy who could possibly be an all-star like all these people are like throwing jonathan isaac up in the top five all of a sudden you're crazy people you know what the biggest he's the biggest boom bus player i i'm fine with it though i'm fine with I would take so the, the the scenario that I was on with Jason Ross is the scenario is Fox goes for or whatever and it's either Tatum or Isaac. I'm taking uh, Isaac. You're crazy. I it's my <laughs> thing on Tatum is he's I he's going to perform to the level of his pick at best. So he's either equal value or he's undervalue. Yeah, and, but what is what's the saying? One in the hand is worth two in the bush. I mean, but but here's the thing. My bet. I'm going to bet right here right now for for cold takes exposure or whatever that thing is <laughs> i'm gonna go that tatum doesn't get the big extension from his the team that drafts him i'm gonna bet that tatum is a very 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 good nba player and i'm also gonna bet that jonathan isaac is either going to be a an exceptional basketball player or he's going to be a complete bust. You can't make that bet. That, that's a not complete a bust. And I, he, if I think, you look at the whole the top Tatum's ten, gonna be, I think Tatum's going to be great for three to four years. I think he'll actually be kind of like a um, a Carmelo Anthony version of, say, like Dario Charge in Philly. You know, with the kind of the the athleticism level of a Dario Charge, maybe the bad not mustache. The, yeah, I mean that would be a plus, and then. Um, <laughs> Just the not as much toughness per se, but a lot more scoring um, ability than charge, but in the same ballpark as charge. So that the, the problem, though, is the King's window is not the next three to four years. You know, the, the window for Isaac is not the next three to four years, really. You know, the window for Isaac is beyond that. Well, it's and beyond that. But how do you pre- that? how do you predict beyond that? Because you can't. There's no way to predict what's beyond that. And. For that matter, if you're really listening to a lot of the what's in the weeds, um, there are questions about his work ethic. Uh, there are questions. Uh, he's supposed to be just a super good kid, um, but is he a gym rat? And man, you're you're risking so much. Like in my top ten, if I'm looking at the entire top ten, which I, I think is pretty close to set. There are two guys that have major bust potential, and I think that's it. There are two guys that have major bust potential. Now, Markkinen might not be incredible. What, what Markkinen is going to do is he's going to walk in day one, and he's going to be the best shooter on your team, and he's seven foot tall and he's smooth. At worst case scenario, you've again, you've got like a, a Ryan Anderson type player at seven foot tall that can play different positions. Um, but until Akina... And Jonathan Isaac are the two biggest players that I can look at and say, I, I either they're going to be really good or they might not be good at all. They may ne- never adjust. They may, may never find their actual position at the NBA and they're going to struggle. And so I think, you know, you're looking at a three-year project for any of them. And what's the Jerry Reynolds line? If you have a five-year plan in the NBA, then you have no plan at all. I mean, that's you can't you can't bank on three to five years of of waiting for Jonathan Isaac to figure out how to play. So. I don't like the Kings. I don't like the Kings at five. If if Fox goes at four or three, you know, like I I really think this is that that there is a doomsday. I should probably not say that. That'll probably freak everybody out. <laughs> a doom a doomsday scenario at five where 
they get somebody that they, you know, like a Tatum. And then at 10, they kind of just have to take the best player available. And it, you know, we've seen in in certain mocks that it would be like Dennis Smith. I don't think that that's going to happen. But say, let's say it's Zach Collins, who who Draft Express has right there at 10, who I like, by the way. I I, um, inter- I was there interviewing uh, Zach Collins, and then I heard that he hit um, almost every three-pointer. After his workout, they ran him through uh, another drill, and he knocked the, everything down. They were like, what in the world? Where did this come from? And then they said in the post, uh, one of the most sophisticated post players they've ever seen come in the draft. A lot of people will be comparing him as far as his post moves and his ability with drop steps and, and counter moves. We're talking like he's almost like a Kevin McHale disciple. He has like post moves on top of post moves on top of post moves. And he's super young and he's got gigantic feet. He's already seven foot tall. He's tough too. And he's and, tough. And yeah, they went right at Bob Thornton. They had Bob Thornton going at him, and he took it and went right at him. They're like, what in the world? Yeah. So, I mean, so needless to say, I think we're both on the Zach Collins hype train, um, to a certain degree at least. But you would be disappointed in this draft, in my opinion, if you ended up with Tatum and Collins in such a stacked draft, at least in terms of the width of it. I don't think that there's the impact players at the top. But you've got all this talent, and you're pretty much guaranteed two impact players. And if you, let's say it's Isaac, it's Isaac or Tatum, you, I, I just think that there's, you know, with Isaac, I love his upside, and I would probably be okay with him at five. But I could understand why people would walk out of that draft going, hmm, you know, we really kind of missed a chance to just take a huge bite at the apple here. But that's and, a swing, and, man. That is a. You're taking but that's a why the three right four. There. That's either... why the three four is such a big deal in this draft, and that's why you're going to see these reports keep coming, and it's all going to come down to: Are the Kings tempted? Do they do they panic at the very end of the at, at decision making time? Do they panic and they go up? Because at this point in time, I cannot identify a team that would come up and trade for basically Fox. Because, you know, if, if, if it's Jackson, you know, he's he's already probably going top three no matter what. Yeah. And then the other scenario here that's pretty wild is what if Lonzo Ball falls to five? You take him. You take him. I, yeah, I, I, don't think that's a, I don't think that's a question for the Kings, but it does add a different wrinkle. Um, but, but teams, the, the, there's a lot of point guards in this league, you know, they're holding it down. So the market for point guards is a little bit soft in general. I don't think that Fox makes it to three or four, unless one of those two teams wants to gamble and just take him. I think, I think he, he makes it to five. And I think there's also a possibility that he goes, you know, at four and there's possibility he goes at three. I think Josh Jackson's already been promised a, a top three selection that we saw him sort of back out on going to work out for somebody. And, you know, there's rumors that there's been a promise um, I think he's he's guaranteed to go up high, up high. I and then you know the rumor today uh, was it today yesterday that um, that the Lakers were willing to listen uh, to the Kings for number two. Uh, and, but but what if Josh Jackson went number one and the well, Lakers right. were willing to listen for the five and the ten for number two and you can go get Markel Fultz? I think I keep you probably people, keep your I think options you... open. I think you probably – here's the thing with Fultz. He's better than D'Angelo Russell, 
and in my opinion, and his defense is a major problem. So to the extent that you're going to pair him with Buddy Heald, I think that that's a problematic yeah. backcourt. The, uh, Steph Curry doesn't play defense hardly at all. I, mean, I would I would argue with you on that. Steve one. Nash won two MVPs, not playing any defense. I don't at think he all. deserved those MVPs. <laughs> I mean, there are plenty of guys out there, like upper echelon point guards, that don't play any defense, and that's that's sort of the nature of the position. Yeah, here. but do they win? Yeah. I mean, isn't the the purpose of this to win a championship? No, I mean, I think it, in the long run, yes, that's 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 the goal. Because um, because yeah. you're really you're talking about the five and the ten for Fultz. I'm I'm fine with that as a conversation because I, I Fultz could be very special offensively, and and I don't think anybody would deny that. Um, but yeah, that's I mean, but I guess the to the bigger to the larger point. Let's say that the Lakers are willing to deal with. Or deal two and Fultz had fallen to two and they're not going to bring in a D'Angelo Russell clone. And my, my thinking there is that you could see D'Angelo Russell get dealt. We haven't heard anything about that. That's just my gut talking right there. The Lakers get out of that business while they can and draft as a replacement. Um, but then you do see some shifting where, you know, Bonzo Baldwin gets pushed further down the draft yeah, uh, I again. I, if I'm Philly, I jump all over Lonzo Ball, and if I'm, but but really, see. do you? Because like they have they, the Philly's problem with the Jackson pick. They don't have a pick in this draft that makes sense. Josh Jackson as a two doesn't make sense. Yeah, and, but I don't think he's a two. I think he's a three. I mean, really, Malik Monk makes so much sense for them at number but, three. But, but this is the problem that they're going to run into is, I mean, assuming they can't get a deal done for uh, Jaleel Okafor, which they're probably going to give him away for nothing. Um, See, now now we're talking. Now now let's let's explore this a little bit, Aaron. Well, you got Joel Embiid, Dario Charich, and then Ben Simmons. At Simmons is their three. And this is why drafting Simmons is such a weird thing, because when you're primary ball handler can't shoot you just have oddness all over the floor yeah no I, I get it i get it but here let's explore this a little bit now the kings are, aren't giving five and ten to move to three that's that's what we're hearing but what if philly started sweetening the pot what if philly threw in okafor so f- <laughs> five and ten for three and okafor now for me that's not enough but what if philly said okay Number three, Okafor and Covington, who gets paid absolutely nothing and makes like 1.25 for the five and 10. Then I got to listen. I got to listen. As, I'm as big a Robert Covington backer on the internet as there is. Um, he's he's won me a lot of money. Um, so thank you, Bob Cove, by the way. Um, he I needs would... a better, I think Bob Coe would be better. Bob Coe. No, the internet's not going to agree with that. It's it's Lord Covington, actually. Um, he he is okay. First of all, he, the last year of his deal, Philly picked up the team option, one and a half mil, and that's going to be great. Next year, he'll get paid a lot more. But yeah. he's oh, got yeah. a major knee issue that's really taken a toll on his athleticism. He's a great steals and passing lane guy. Yes, and when he can. When his knee can muster it, he can be a great defender. But he's getting to the point where he can't defend twos anymore. He's so, so young, he, though. He's young, but the knee thing, like being a guy that made $4 million over three years, he pushed it. 
he absolutely pushed it, and instead of resting it, which is what he should have done, he he gambled, and he's gambling for his next contract. This is these young guys. You wonder like about an Isaiah Thomas hip issue. You know, when Isaiah Thomas was making no money and and flying through the lane and and falling five feet to the ground on that hip, you know, and then just getting up and playing through it. These young guys that are on small deals, they constantly do this, and it's it's sad to watch because it it cuts off the back end of their career uh, significantly. So. I'm not saying anything about Isaiah. I don't know anything, you know, about the series. I know that that's a storyline in Boston right now. But um, as far as Philly goes, you've got this really big question of none of these players fit them. Fox doesn't none fit of, them. None of them fit them. None of them do. So yeah. even so, say somebody trades up, the thought there would be it would be either Jackson or Fox. And again, this thing, whether it's Philly or Phoenix, is about what team would come up and draft or pardon me, and, and trade up to, to address the point guard position. And with Phoenix as such a wild card there, I think all eyes are on Phoenix, especially because they are kind of crazy as an organization. Nobody really knows what they're going to do. The, the general manager doesn't have a lot of power there. Ownership is kind of wishy-washy. Like, you just don't know. They could do something kind of David Kahn-esque where you're just like, what? You drafted a fourth point guard with, with no plan. With no plan for how <laughs> he, to deal with he it. He drafted four point guards in one draft. <laughs> what you he, he went Johnny Flynn, Ricky Rubio. Uh, then he they had four four picks in that. Ty Lawson. Ty Lawson at, what, like 19? And then maybe the fourth guy wasn't a true point guard. Was it Gravis that they drafted? Oh. I think it was Gravis. No, I think it was. They drafted uh, whatever it was. That draft, they drafted four point guards or three and a half point guards. And you're like, what? But it was at least three. And, and you know what's crazy is, you know, uh, Lawson was actually not a bad pick. But still, it's just total con. He's the best pick of the of the lot. I mean, clearly. Okay, so okay, so here's one more scenario. Like, uh, Jason Ross threw this to me the other day. He said, what if, what if the draft goes um, slightly according to plan, but maybe not? But what if... The Kings get Fox at five, and then your standard. So Tatum, Jackson, Ball, and Fultz go, and then Monk and Markinen and Intelikina, uh, they go, and now you get to to number ten. I, I think I missed somebody in there, right? Um, anyway, you get to number ten. Oh, Isaac and Isaac goes, and the guy on the board you got Zach Collins, or you've got Dennis Smith. What do you do? What do you do if you already have Fox and then Dennis Smith is available at number 10? That's easy. I'm going Collins and it's not even close. I think with with Smith, you got to really figure out kind of like, A, what did you think about him during interviews? You know, nobody's going to really tell you what they think, I think, at this point. But, um, you know, what did you really think in interviews? Is the stuff at NC State, is that stuff that you can get beyond as an organization. So that's check number one. Check number two is is the fit, because this is a guy that's going to need the ball in his hands, a decent amount to really tap into his value. And again, the Kings have a major logjam at shooting guard, which is essentially how he's kind of profiling coming into the league. Whether or not he can play the point or not is very debatable. I don't know. He he put up assist numbers, big time assist. He had a higher percentage, uh, assist percentage than Alonzo Ball. Yeah, but he's going to be a shoot first point guard. And and that, 
you know, I know that that's a bad word around these parts, um, but the, I think that's, uh, that's like what every point guard is becoming at this point. I, I, as you it's, it's a pick and roll league. So it's the question is, is if you're going to take so many shots and you're going to take so much usage, are you doing everything the right way? And the, that's been the biggest issue with him is he's been a jacker. He, you know, didn't get his teammates involved the right way at NC State. And can that change? You know, is that ingrained into his DNA or was that because he just didn't trust his teammates to shoot? You know, those those kind of things come up. But I mean, we don't even know if Bogdanovich is coming across at this point. If he doesn't, you still have a log jam, you know, at the shooting guard positions at the wings. Well, so a couple of things on this. Okay, so number one, uh, Bogdanovich, I'm. I don't want to make like wild claims that it's done, but I think I, I'm almost I'm I'm like 85, 90% sure he will be in the Sacramento Kings uniform next year. Um the thing I, I will tell people, he will not play in Summer League. Whether he signs or not, I do know he will not play in Summer League because he is seriously playing right now. He he they got done with the the Euro ball, whatever, the the cup. And they won, and then they entered another tournament, and he's still playing. And so he is—he's going to need some time off this summer, and he's not going to play in summer league. So I'm not going to do anything with the understanding that I've got to hold up a spot for somebody. But here, this is why I say if Dennis Smith is available at ten, I don't care who I drafted at number five, I take him. And and it's one specific reason: the Kings need talent, and this kid is so incredibly talented. And you at ten, he's so much lower risk, and I, I've got a, I've got a. Hey, I'm a steez. <laughs> Excuse me, people. <laughs> yeah, wow. Okay, I'm taking him. Okay. I'm taking him at ten because you know what? I don't care if I've got two point guards and they're both balling. I got talent. I got talent, and you know I, what? I'll I, say this. Dennis There's Smith reminds me of Marbury, like both on and off the court, like. He can ball like Mar- uh, like Marbury, and he can also drive you bonkers like like Marbury. But what is it we heard that in a in a Lakers workout he put up a forty eight inch vert, like <gasps> he can jump over well, a car. Here's the thing about that stuff: we gotta be real clear. Like I want to see the pictures of the forty eight inch vert. Well, yeah, but, but even in the car, whatever. Put Let's up, just. Like, I mean, well, no, the point is, is he can jump out the gym, yes. and and that's and that's fine. And I will say this too. By getting Fox, you do give yourself the ability to gamble a little bit. And the idea of it, Smith at 10 is great value in general. Yes. I'll, I'll give huge, you all of that. Huge value. The, the, the comparison to Marbury, I think, is a bit much. I think that uh, Dion Waiters is probably a fair comparison for this kid. Uh, he's a passer, and though. He can, he can pass. Here's the thing with Waiters. Waiters has become kind of like uh, the idealized version that everybody thought he hoped he would be out of coming out of the draft. So he's, he's become really good. And, and um, you know, especially in Miami, he with the proper guidance in the right organization in Oklahoma city, you know, where he had good solid teammates and it kind of, it was on his last chance, so to speak a little bit. He took five years, I think four, four or five years to get to the point where he realized his potential that's my concern for when you're drafting in the top 10, this is just now about everybody, every team, every, every player is, and especially point guards, 
you get attached to them and you have to follow that bet out. It's like a, a continuation bet or a bluff in poker. You have to, okay, year one for Emmanuel Moutier was not good. Well, we got to give him a chance in year two to yeah. show that he can do it. And it throws your team out of whack. Like you're pot committed. You're pot you're committed. Pot, you're pot committed, yeah. exactly. I so, get what you're saying. And that's why the Kings didn't draft Wade Baldwin. Because they, they weren't convinced that he was the guy. And if he's not the guy, you're pot committed. You wasted a pick on him. And I'd rather take, I mean, in their opinion, they would rather take a big, they, they could develop and mold into something as opposed to a guy that they never believed was going to be that point guard that they really wanted. So far, they're winning, by the way, on uh, that one. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So far, Yorgos Papianis is a <laughs> Well, And, and a that's superior... why Zach Collins to me is like, the, 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 the. I don't think it's a championship front court or anything, but you check a lot of boxes with this front court if you take Zach Collins there. I agree. You've got I think so wingspan too. and athleticism and versatility, you know, in, in, in the thin towers. And then you've got with Papi Giannis, you got some little bit of craziness. You don't know if he might just throw a punch here and there. Um, but he's also got that kind of Mark Gasol game. And I'll say it. I think that he has the potential to develop that style of game because of his footwork and because of his touch shooting the ball. Um, with everything else being a question mark, of course, you know, so and then Zach Collins kind of comes in and rounds it out. He's, he's there's steps between these four players. So they're I think they to check all the boxes the right way. Yeah. And if you, I, I couldn't three, pass that up. If your three big rotation is Scal and Willie and Zach Collins, uh, I think you're OK, like long term. Like and I mean, you oh, still throw, have throw Papa, throw Papa Giannis in there. Well, yeah, I'm Papa Giannis, but you still have Costa. And so, again, I could yeah. see the Kings being aggressive with Costa. During during this trade season, um, during the the uh, the draft season, I think if, if he gets you, if he helps you move up, or if you've got a, you know, if you're working a deal with Phoenix, and you're gonna accept a bunch of contract back to get, uh, you know, if you're gonna take back a Brandon Knight to go from five to four, um, then you know maybe it it makes sense for Costa to go there with uh, um, with Langston Galloway to eat up a little bit of space here and you know so you're not taking back 45 million maybe in that situation you're taking back you know 32 million or 31 million long term and costa can opt out uh, after this season anyways so i'll throw one more wrinkle in here is the kings if they want to make this an a plus draft to check the small forward box and and check it in a really meaningful way would be you know that would that would be the 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 tops um, so Fox at five, you know, I think that there's probably like a 60, 70% chance right now early with a week to go that, that they get Fox and without having to trade up. Now you're talking about the 10, if they could somehow trade up and Jonathan Isaac yeah. doesn't go to, to Orlando as he's projected right here in this, this mock draft, that to me if you can move up a couple slots just to to ensure that you you get the guy that you want, that would be uh, phenomenal for the Kings. Yeah, we talked about this uh, two weeks ago on the podcast. You know the the possibility of of maybe taking um, what's his name Har- uh, Harkless Mo Harkless and the the twentieth pick from Portland, and then taking the twentieth pick and packaging packaging it with the ten pick. And go and go up to six, go up to seven, go up to eight, wherever you got to go to just get 
a player that makes more sense for you. And for that, for the Kings, it the player that makes more sense is a small forward. You you need a small forward of the future. And I mean, there's questions whether Isaac is a small forward of the future. There there is whether he's a uh, more of a combo forward uh, or a stretch four. Um, but if you can do that, if you can figure out some way to do it, then I think it makes huge, huge sense for the Kings. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about kind of like a brief moment in time where all of these player values are scrambled. I don't think league decision makers are are probably going to charge the Kings too much to go up a couple picks. It's going to come down to fit and, and kind of what the Kings maybe with their cap space can take back. Um you know, kind of looking at Orlando, Minnesota, and uh, New York. Minnesota, especially, like they're projected to draft Markinen right now. I don't, I don't know who Minnesota likes or takes in this draft. I, I think that they're they're an interesting squad. I love Markinen there, and I love Monk there. Either one of them, I think they both fit, especially if you can uh, fit Zach Levine uh, into the the point guard spot. Yeah, the, the thing is, is. is I guess if the if the Wolves take Markin in, this means that Gorgie Jang is officially on the block, in my opinion. Eh, he could still come off the bench and be your... I mean, I think that's what everyone says. If he's your first... If he's your second big, you're not very good. If he's your third big, if he's your big off the bench... And that's why I like brought up the, the possibility in the 76ers deal. Um, Okafor, man, I, if you can't see Oka, uh, front line of of Scow, Willie, and Okafor being successful? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, they, they give you, all three I of bet. them give you so many different looks. I'll put the Brewski, the Brewski bet down on, on Okafor not having a great two to three years. Well, he doesn't have a great two to three but, years. He's not going to have any four to five years. <laughs> I, I worry about his, I mean, it's, some of it's unfair, some of it's his knee, but I just think that defense is not a priority for him and rebounding has not been a priority for him. And so when his offense is kind of average at best, there's just a, a lot of question marks there. But here's another scenario. So the the Wolves probably don't want to pay Gorgie Jang market rate if they're going to draft a market in. So that might be a good bet if you're looking at, okay, who's a, who's a player with upside that I can bet on during his prime when the team that, that has him currently doesn't necessarily want him? Yeah. And, and so – that would make the Kings extremely athletic, and um, he he would be a, he could be a stretch five candidate for you. Um, he, he's he, Jang is a good player, and, and he's just he's like he's kind of one of those money ball players where he's developed late offensively, but he can pass, he can shoot, he can defend. I I mean he's kind of checks all boxes for you, and I don't think that the Wolves want to pay him high end money. Yeah, I can see that. I can see them not wanting to pay massive amounts of money for him. I mean, it's it's going to be complex. I mean, we we have no idea what's going to happen between now and next Thursday. Absolutely no idea. This thing is going to get wild because there is a lot of talent in this draft. And I think that, again, that's why the Kings are saying, hey, look, we're, we're good at drafting at 5 and 10 because we think we can get two very, very good players. And most of these guys, they've never had an option to draft at 5 and 10. And... The thing is, also, I'll, I'll point this out. If you give up the tenth pick, you're kind of giving up what you got for Demarcus. You still you you have the second round pick, um, and you have Buddy Healed, but that was that other chip that you got for Demarcus was the tenth pick, 
And so I think they're going to value that because of it, because of what it means to certain people that it that it is part of that deal. It's sort of the the key that you got, the the key thing that you got in that deal. So I think they're going to be a little leery. Now, Aaron, uh, before we get out of here, because we, we got a jet, but um, Frank Mason. Uh, yeah, I was hoping you were going to go that direction. Yeah, Frank Mason. Now, the Kings have brought him in twice. Uh, unfortunately for the Kings, I'm just going to point this out, Kings fans. The Orlando Magic, who have the 33rd pick, the pick before the Kings, have brought him in twice as well. So there's an opportunity for him to go there, and actually he fits really well there. I think he fits extremely well. But if you're the Kings, and this might be the one guy that would make me say, eh, I don't think I need to draft a Dennis Smith at number 10. Maybe I can go Zach Collins uh, if he's, he's if he's available. Maybe I can go OG, or maybe I can go... Um, Man, who's the uh, um, shoot the the points the shooting guard the combo guard with the six foot ten wingspan that, that's um, Mitchell that's blowing at Donovan Mitchell. Oh, you mean um, Mini James Harden? Yeah, see, uh, he's a guy too that that if he's available at ten, you know he's going to play defense day one, and he can flat out score. Uh, and he was very impressive in Sacramento as well. So if you strike out with Fox. At at five, now you might look at Donovan Mitchell if you think you can convert him to a point guard at number ten, and then you know I I do believe that the Kings like Frank Mason a lot, and that if he is available at number thirty four, and they haven't gone completely uh, wackadoodle in the top of the draft and drafted two point guards, I think that they're going to seriously consider drafting him. I don't understand why he's so low on people's boards. I get it; he's twenty three years old. But holy cow, he's 5'11", and he's doing windmill dunks. And not only that, but he can shoot the three ball like crazy. He was phenomenal in college, uh, 21 points, you know, 20.9, and, you know, like five or six assists a game. I mean, he can really get it done. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Ty Lawson with a little bit more explosion and a little bit better three-point shooting, but not quite the uh, the passing you know, acumen, but not bad. He, I mean, he's close and I, I would really, I think he will succeed at the NBA level. I'm not going to say Isaiah Thomas, uh, level, but I do think he will succeed in the same way that Isaiah did early in his career where he walks in day one and you're like, Oh boy, that dude is going to steal minutes. We got ourselves a player. And so I like him. I also like Caleb Swanigan. It's funny. Isaiah just ruined uh, pr- projections for all second rounders, especially people under six foot. Yeah, for for the, for the good ne- next decade or so. Um, yeah. Kings have an interesting spot here with thirty four. Um, I, I agree with you that that Mason will be a good pick, um, but you know you can have him later. I think than thirty four. And I so know. I don't know. It, I... It's gonna. <laughs> Here's the. I'll throw another name out there. Derek White out of Colorado. This guy has sleeper written all over him. I wrote a short little blurb over at Hoopball about him um, after looking at kind of the whole thing. And he, so this guy is is basically Malcolm Brogdon in in um, the next version this year. So I think the Kings have at least two bullets there that they can fire uh, with the 34 pick if they wanted to go Frank Mason. Um, but then kind of looking further back a little bit, uh, the kid out of Nevada, uh, I think he's got some uh, potential. Which Oliver? Cam, Cam Oliver. Um, yeah. The, the, the problem, I know, though, is at 34, he, I think it's a little too pricey 
Yeah. For all so Oliver, from what I know, in the in the workout, he went one on one against uh, against Swanigan, and um, he had some crazy monster dunk over the top of, of Swanigan. We don't get to see any of the workouts anymore. That's one thing I, I will tell tell people. In the past, they used to lift the screen. And we'd be able to look through one-way glass at the old practice facility, and we'd be able to watch like the last five minutes of workout. Sometimes we get to see a little bit of the game action, but not usually. Usually, we at least get to see them shoot and do their their post-practice stuff. Um, that's not the case anymore. We're locked in a room way far away, and then we get let out to the practice facility floor once the workout's completely done. And then Frank Mason, uh, the third, puts on like an aerial, like crazy acrobatic dunk, like. I don't even know what he's doing. He just busted his butt, and he's already had ten workouts. Uh, for he's getting himself drafted is what he's doing. He, yeah, he's had so many workouts leading up to this, and he still has four more workouts. And here he is after an entire hour and a half workout, and he's got springs in his legs, and he's jumping through the roof and dunking all over the place, or a forty-five minute workout, whatever it is, whatever it is. They work him out hard, and then here he is, like putting on this dunk display that's just off the charts. So. Um, that I was going to say that that we don't really get to see them. But getting back to Oliver, from what I know, um, Swanigan was a star in in that workout, and and Donovan Mitchell. They worked out together, and Donovan Mitchell was like, "Oh my gosh!" He's like, "Right hand, left hand, left hand, right hand." He's like, "He just dominated!" Like, "Holy cow!" He's like, "I knew he was good at Purdue, but not only can he kill you with both hands in the post, but then he goes out behind the arc and just starts launching." And shot, I only shot 40-something percent in college. And they're like, this dude. And the word I heard coming out of it, everyone inside the building was like, hey, that's not a second-round pick. That's a first-round pick. And the same thing with Mason. A lot of guys coming out of there saying, man, I, that's not a second-round pick at all. Well, and here's my thoughts with this. If, you, if, if you're at 34 and, and you like the pick, if that's the top name on your board, you, you just don't mess around. You, yeah. you just go you just go get them because trading back, you know, there's just too much risk, not enough reward. It's you, you just take the top name on your board and, and go home. So you might see one of those guys that that are currently projected low go high. Um, so they got about, I would say, three, you know, maybe four or five bullets that they can fire at 34 that, that would probably check the boxes. Yeah. All right, Aaron, do we have any final thoughts? Because we do have to end this thing eventually. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting messages from all sorts of people hating on this this time frame here. Um, no, I'm I'm, uh, I'm uh, to echo your message from the beginning of the podcast. I would say that there were certain people in my life that had shown me they could quit smoking, and that really helped me believe that it was possible. So if you guys are out there smoking on a um, on a on a grit, you know, I was able to quit that, and, and you should definitely look into that for yourself. There we go. Uh, yeah, I think final thoughts. Uh, hold on to your hats, Kings fans. This is going to get wild. Um, I think this is going to be one of the more entertaining two, three weeks of Kings basketball in a while. And I don't think that they're going to stand around and watch things happen. I think they're going to make things happen for themselves. Uh, I think that they're going to be active both at draft season. They're going to be active, uh, very active in free agency. This is going to be a fun week. Uh, there will be swings and misses. People will be frustrated that this happened or that happened. But at the end of the day, uh, this this group is working pretty well together. Like I've had plenty of conversations, and uh, they really do seem to have filled, filled a lot of the holes in the front office. 
and uh, I think that they are are ready to to start building, and that's that's kind of cool. Um, also, just to get back to it, yeah, quit smoking. I mean, that's all I can say. It, it's just not fun to watch the end result. You know, it's not fun to 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 also know that you know you're you're leaving a mess for other people afterwards. So, I, I have a I have a second last thought uh-oh. that we have to remember to talk about Scal's meditation. Oh yeah, Sean Cunningham with the cool meditation. Yeah, I mean that's what he's been talking about at another cast. Yeah, we've been uh, Scal's had the sports guy uh, f- around for a while. Like he because I've been meditating. Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. All right. It's good stuff. Meditating, playing golf, smoking a cigarette here and there, drinking some beer. We've heard it all today. No, Aaron. no, no, no. I quit smoking, James. All right. I quit. All right. That's that's, that's not good for you. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear, Aaron. <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it for this edition of the NBC Sports California Kings Insider Podcast. For Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. We'll see you very soon. Draft season is upon us.